friends, and welcome to the Frames for Thought podcast. I am your resident actor, Mark, and with me always is... Alex, the animator. Woo! And this is our special second episode. First episode, we talked about me. Second episode, we're going to talk about Alex. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you enjoy it, too. Alex. Mark. We're here to talk about you today. Hooray! It's about time, really. I know. I know. I, I'm honestly very excited because there's there's a lot about your industry and what you do that I just don't understand. <laughs> so this, this for me is very exciting. Yeah, it should be fun. Cool. So let's uh, jump into it to the very beginning here. Um, what would be your earliest memories of any kind of animation or animated tv show or movie or even internet cartoons that you may have watched when you were younger oh man diving right into it well internet cartoons weren't a thing when uh, i was watching them as a kid uh, the earliest memories of watching cartoons that i have are tapes videotapes mm-hmm. uh, taping shows off of the television because i had just a basic cable package and a lot of the shows that i wanted to watch were on different cable packages and so i had to get people to record shows that i wanted to watch like thundercats which is where this all comes from so like thundercats is the first show that really like you really remember really stood out to you yeah thundercats was my jam i remember watching the intro theme and getting all hyped up for thundercats and then watching lion o do his thing you know like arm wrestling with a caveman <laughs> Okay, cool. Is there any other shows that you remember as you were growing up? Like maybe middle school, high school type shows that you were into? Oh, sure. Tons. Uh, I watched a lot of TV. I liked cartoons. Um, I, I even like had the, these times when I would watch different kinds of anime. Like I, I, I remember being in high school and watching a lot of Ranma or like in elementary school. I remember I tried watching South Park when South Park first came out. We were in elementary school. I begged my parents to stay up and let me watch it. And I was definitely too young. My parents thought it was funny, but I didn't laugh. Right? So kind of growing up around that era of cartoons. There was tons out there. And, I mean, I I was much more into the superhero gimmick. Right. uh, Thundercats. the, The ensemble hero team these cartoons you're getting these ideas you know so what did you do do you take any classes as a kid or is it just like school courses like how did you really get into art in the beginning um well I i feel like it's so cliche to say like most people who get into my industry will tell you it's like as soon as i could pick up a pencil i was drawing stuff and i mean that's kind of true you know i was always drawing pictures my my dad had these books i don't remember what they were i think they were like encyclopedias or something like an encyclopedia but it had this like how to draw number people and you would draw like a number two and then you would put little dots on either side of the two and then the base of the two would be the nose and then you draw a smile underneath it or you would draw like a figure eight and then you would just draw like ears on top of it and you'd make it into a cat And so I definitely was drawing young. And I remember my parents always getting me those how to draw books. 
you know like i remember one stands out in particular it was called how to draw monsters weirdos and aliens that's a great title <laughs> and i i would sit down and i would go through these books i mean early on when you're a kid a lot of like what you're doing is tracing so put my piece of paper on top and i trace the picture and it's like i did it i did it but then as you get older and you start to understand like oh i can draw this too and then just more and more of that but as far as classes go no way uh Similar to you, I grew up in Fort McMurray, and there's not a whole lot of like an art scene for kids, right? I mean, I'm not going to a special art school or some sort of private thing. So any of my art would be from just art classes that would be in elementary school. When you get older, you can take more elective art classes in high school. There's art clubs. And so I pursued those avenues. Uh but again, similar to the way you told your story about how your your mom was like, maybe accounting, Mark. Accounting is a safe career. You know, acting can be a little challenging. I remember when I was like, ah, like I, I just have to do something with my art. I want to do something with my art. It was always kind of, that's a good hobby. You know, keep it as a hobby. Do that as a hobby, you know, and then you, you can do that on in your free time. Don't worry about that as like a real job right so so do something else go work a trade go work out at the plants go you know something else there was a lot of discouragement because it didn't seem feasible that art could be a career at least where we grew up and when we grew up you know like we're talking like early 90s and so a lot of the time people like i'm gonna be an animator still back then there was a lot We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but like there's there's some barriers to getting into the industry when the industry is still kind of, I don't want to say new, but it's still kind of in its infancy, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that at that time. Cool. Um, to kind of trail back then to when you were a kid, uh, besides from animation, were there any like comic books or like any kind of like graphic novels that you were kind of reading that might have influenced you a little bit? Yeah, I was a really big fan of Sonic comics. Yeah, yeah like not Archie, even though they were affiliated, right? I think they're still affiliated. I, I think so too. I think it's but... Archie Comics presents Sonic still. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember I was really into that for a while, and I was, it was a storyline that I could follow. I was young enough that I could follow it. I tried a few other ones. Like I remember I tried like Wolverine and I tried Spider Man, but I couldn't keep up. You know, I, I'm I'm a kid. I, I I'm not going to the comic shops all the time to to get this. I didn't know at the time that you could like have a subscription. <laughs> you know, I, that that wasn't something that I knew. And so, and I would just go to the corner store, or in in Fort McMurray, it was the variety store or whatever. Yeah, Chow's, Chow's and, variety. Uh, Chow's, and uh, I I would kind of see what's there and. When you're a kid, you're not thinking about that, or at least I wasn't thinking about like the serial version of comics, right? Where this is the next one in the series of the next one of the next one and so on. And instead, I was looking at the cover and being like, that looks cool. <laughs> That's the one I want. You know, or like that one's cool or that one's got a hot chick on it or like pretty lady, you know, like that sort of thing. But no, I, I as far as comics go, I don't think beyond sonic comics i was really into too much i definitely knew about mm-hmm. them but i i didn't uh like have a a following for the comics cool yeah no i mean it's different for everyone right 
you kind of touched on it, but I still want to know if uh, I want to know if you still have any more details you want to give. But um, what were the other kind of hurdles growing up in a town like Fort McMurray when it came to making art? Things are probably different now, mm-hmm. just with the way that the world has kind of changed and animation has moved to be more digitized, more on the computer rather than being on pencil and paper. Mm-hmm. But when you you talk about animation and you're talking about animation in the 90s, you're still talking about pencil and paper, right? And so there's a fine art kind of background that kind of falls into that, right? When when you say, I want to be an artist or I want to be an animator, a lot of people will go, well, can you draw? <laughs> and, you know, like a lot of the time the answer is like, well, I think I'm good. You know, it's like, are you good enough? But um, that's not really a gateway so much anymore, right? With 3D animation and modeling and even if you're working in flash tunes or you're doing something on harmony there there's a lot of avenues that you can pursue as an amateur artist or hobby animator or what have you right uh so i mean that's not so much a gateway anymore but when you thought about that as a career and you're thinking as a little kid you're thinking wow i have to practice my drawing and i have to get good and then um Maybe this is, again, different now because I haven't lived there for so long, but there was no real guidance as far as how do you get there, right? Right. Teachers didn't know how to get there. High school teachers knew that you had to go to school, like an art school, but they they were more focused on the fine art curriculum, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're doing still life and pastels, a little bit of painting, some sculpture, the very generic, broad art curriculum. Uh, there's not a lot for animation, mm-hmm. or at least when I was in school, there wasn't a lot for animation. It was just, you know, you have a sketchbook, you sit in the hallway, you, you draw, and people are like, wow, you're so good. <laughs> and like in high school, you're like, yeah, I am. And then you grow up and you're like, man, I suck. <laughs> I think that's anywhere, though. Yeah. Yeah. But there there weren't a lot of avenues of support, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a question, there weren't a lot of answers. There weren't a lot of avenues to pursue, right? If you had a question, the teacher or the instructor might have a hard time answering you. So you had to to try to find your own way. There wasn't a lot of ways to get to that avenue, right? This this is going to sound strange to a lot of people, but we're early mid '90s. There's not a lot in the way of the internet for for my family, at least, right? Like I got my first computer that was hooked up to the internet in the year 2000 yeah i I think i was very similar (laughs) yeah so i so i mean a lot has changed since then and there's lots more resources out there now and it's much less of a barrier but before it was just you're working in a trades town and you're kind of expected to do that and if you're not going to do that and you want to do something else you want to break away from that then you have to find a new avenue to pursue you have to find a new stream you have to leave similar to how you know there was no film yeah. going on in fort mcmurray with you or there's not a lot of film going on in edmonton i have to pursue a larger yep. urban center where this is more normal somewhere like vancouver or toronto or los angeles or what have you right you you need to be going somewhere where that industry exists enough so that you can actually work in it in some way when you finished high school, did you jump into art and animation right away? Or where, where did you end up going right after high school? All over the place. 
and that's that's because of you know the idea that this isn't something that can really be pursued here yeah right if you want to do this you have to leave you have to go somewhere else and i wasn't ready to go somewhere else i guess you know like i am more of a homebody kind of person and like i had a girlfriend you know that's always part of it yeah. right is you yeah when it came time to decide animator because i had no experience doing that like i had filled plenty of sketchbooks but nothing else you know like there was no other sustenance there you know it's like you go work in comic books and it's like well how do you pursue that you know like i i didn't know and so what i did is i went into i feel like what most people from fort mcmurray who went to university did and that's you enroll in a bachelor of science program (laughs) and so that's what i did i enrolled into a bachelor of science program and then i didn't finish it oh Oh, I, I yeah, didn't know I didn't, you didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. I did one year of science, and then I said, I don't think I can do this. I didn't like going to a biology class that had 500 people in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially when we're coming from a small town where we just graduated from high school where my chemistry class or my biology class had maybe like 25 people in it, right? And so to go to that and then to you, you really have to take charge of your own learning in university. And, you know, that that style of learning wasn't right for me. Well, yeah, like Um, like we know people who were geniuses in high school who were doing great. And then the moment they went to university, it all fell apart. Yeah, you know, it's 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 from going being like the biggest or the smartest fish in the pond to being like only yeah. one of them <laughs> right you, you're not the only one there are many, well, yeah. many and then, of like them. especially but, if you leave uh home you don't have your parents telling you to go to school in the morning yeah you can definitely get a little lazy i always liked school so i mean i was always going and like i did well and stuff but university wasn't wasn't for me and so i left university and i went back home and i worked a couple odd jobs before i went back to school to become mm-hmm. a paramedic and so I went back to school. I became a paramedic. It was almost the day I graduated from the school. I was like, this is wrong. This is wrong still. Like I made the wrong yeah. choice. So I'm very thankful that I have a, such a supportive partner and that she was like, you're right. This isn't the right fit. Like, let's let's do something else. And so I went back to school and I finished my university degree. So I finished with a double major in history and physical education. The idea was I was going to go back to school and become a high school teacher. So I finished my degree, got my double major, and I started teaching at a high school. (laughs) And once again, (laughs) it just wasn't the right fit, right? It uh, It was wrong. And... I knew it and my partner knew it, but there was there was another factor and that's that my partner got really sick and uh, she was told that, you know, like she might she might not wake up one day. And so it, it was kind of taken upon us where we, we had to kind of think about are we living the kind of lives that we want to live? You know, like she was already pretty well established in her career 
and I was still floundering around. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do, but I had no idea how to get there. And so we had this really in-depth conversation about like, are we living the life we want to live? And the answer was no, mm-hmm. we weren't because I was still just kind of flip flopping around and, you know, trying to, to make what I would consider a quote unquote real job work, you know? Um, and it was actually her who suggested, well, if this is something that you want to try, you know, you want to try animation, you want to go and do it, then apply for it. Then, you know, go back to school again and apply for animation and see if you get in. And then if you get in, then we can talk about it mm-hmm. from there. And so uh, I applied to Capilano in North Vancouver and I didn't get in. Uh, I didn't have a strong enough portfolio. Uh, that ended up being a blessing in disguise, not because Capilano is a bad school. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's just because their program is longer. And by the time I got started, I was already like in my mid 20s and I didn't want to go to school again for another four years. So we stumbled upon Vancouver Film School because we, we didn't know what animation schools were out there, right? And so we did some looking and we found Vancouver Film School and they had a condensed program, which was a 12-month intensive. It's like two years worth of education in 12 months. And, you know, you're going to school from January mm-hmm. to December. There's no break. It's just straight through all Great. year. And so I did that. I was ready to, mm-hmm. you know, like start. But I also thought that this isn't really the way that the industry is moving. I, I, do, I do want to talk about this. There's a few things I want to get to uh, around this time period. Um, so the first thing I want to say is shout out to your wife. Because being that supportive and being that there for you is amazing. She calls me her long-term investment. <laughs> No, I, 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 mad props to her. Like that is so incredible that she's, she's got your back so much in that. That's beautiful. I love it. My other question though, I I have for you is so you mentioned that, uh, you didn't know what kind of schools and everything was out there and how they worked. What kind of research do you do to find a school that you wanted to go to? Like what made Capilano and VFS stand out for you? So when I finally did start looking at animation schools, like there mm-hmm. are the big ones, right? There's there's CalArts and there's all the different art academies and there's the big one in Toronto is Sheridan, right? Right, yeah, I know. Uh, Sheridan's a big one for acting too. Yeah, and Capilano. But they're all extended programs, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're multi-year January to April, September to December, you know, you have the the months off in between. At that time in my life, you know, I'm married, my wife's in her career. We're we're eventually going to want to move on from this stage, you know? And Vancouver Film School offered something that the others didn't, and that was condensed programming. Right? The program isn't any less excellence i would argue that it's it's more intense in some ways because of the amount of work that you have to do in the year mm-hmm. because that's all you get is the year right so you have to make the most of that year yeah and it, it's sort of like what i said in uh, last episode where um i've been to like a, uh, an acting school 
that's more renowned and one that isn't. And you still see the similarities. And I would argue that something with acting school, or not sorry, uh, animation school, the principles are similar to the same. It's just how the school comes about it that's different, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, to the best of my knowledge, most people that teach animation are still active in animation. Oh, right? cool. Like they're, they're still active animators. They're still working in the industry. Um, so you, you can build up your connections that way as well. And there are definitely similarities. The Probably the biggest difference, though, is with the extended programs. You get more time to practice, right? You have more time to do your drawings. You can take a little bit more time to finesse the craft. Mm -hmm. But in Vancouver Film School or even just any condensed program, like you just got to be chucking it out, right? <laughs> like you're drawing, 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 good, enough, go, like, you know. Right. But isn't that kind of beneficial too? Because wouldn't that be like a studio type job as well? Yeah, it it definitely felt close to what I have since experienced in the real world, where you're just cranking out an insane amount of volume, and it's it was similar to the experience in school, right? So uh, very career oriented school. Mm -hmm where they want you to be working in the industry. And so they try to mimic and replicate it as best as they can. And I think they do a pretty good job. Yeah, that's that's very beneficial. That's really cool. Um, so you're at school. You're doing your thing. What is the day in the life of an animation student like? Like just a typical day? Sure, yeah. So they want to build up your drawing skills as fast as possible because the last four months of the year are just you working on the film. So you're you're doing everything that you've learned through the other eight and you're you're doing it in the final four. So you're doing a ton of life drawing. You're life drawing every day almost. And after life drawing, the classes will vary, I mean, from term to term. But it's like from life drawing, you go to perspective, to composition, to an animation class where you're learning how to bounce balls or you're doing the flower sack jump, like all of that classic stuff. And then it just gets more advanced as you go. You know, it's middle of the year. You're starting to do some walk cycles and run cycles and then four-legged walks and four-legged runs. There are, there are some foundational skills that you're doing throughout the year to keep your, your arms and your hands moving. So like life drawing, for example, is probably the one that we did the most. And that one carried through straight until the day we left. That's awesome. Uh, can I ask you a quick question about uh, life drawing? Uh-huh. So you don't have to go into too much detail, but uh -huh. how awkward is it the very first time you're doing a life drawing, like a new drawing of somebody in class, like the first time? How awkward Jeez. is it? Yeah, so if it's the first time you've ever done life drawing, like ever, it might be a little strange at first, but the models that you're drawing have done this before, and they're super comfortable doing what they're doing. Like, they they don't care what you're doing, and you're not drawing all of the anatomy, right? Right. right. When, when, you're do, when you're doing the life drawing, especially for animation, it's, mo it's meant to be gestural, sketchy, quick. You want to you want to capture the pose and the lines of action. You want to try to get the force in there as well, right? It's not a portrait class where we're we're sitting there and we're trying to get the shading right 
on their face when the light hits it just so underneath this silk drape while they're sitting on this box right <laughs> like that's that's not what we're doing they're they're posing and we're trying to get that as quick as we can and the class starts with just 15 second poses mm-hmm. so the model will stand in a pose for 15 seconds a timer will be they'll switch their pose like whether you're done or you're ready or not like they're changing so you move on you move on there was never a point in time where there was like an hour to draw them <laughs> you know like it was just crank that pose out as fast as you can and get the line of action like as close as you can cool and so if you're new to life drawing it's it's honestly one of the best things that you can do as an artist mm-hmm. and if you go to the same life drawing class and you're you're well versed in life drawing change your seat don't always sit in the same spot because if you're always drawing the models from the same angle, when you move to a new angle, it's going to be hard, right? So always just be moving, you know, be present. That's that's super solid advice. I really like that. Just change your seat. That's awesome. You're in art school. You're having a great time. Is there any assignment or project that really stands out in your memory? Probably the final film. It's probably the most memorable part of it all. Life drawing was awesome because you, you get to watch yourself evolve over the course of a year. But when you're when you're finally ready to do the final film, um, you know you you've been practiced and so practiced that when you're doing your rough animation, it comes out quick, clean. Usually, it's fun to make the story of your final film to go through that process of like creating something, creating the characters, storyboarding them, and then doing like color keys, doing the rough animatic right on through to full animation and then when you're using an animation scanner to scan in your papers at the end and turn them into vector drawings load them into the software and you know you go through the whole pipeline and you you get to do it all by yourself and you feel grown up you know you feel like yes I'm capable I've learned this stuff and then you go to your first day in the studio and you forget everything (laughs) classic that's classic I know with you in particular that you made the jump from uh, 2D to 3D. And uh, just a few questions based on that. I want to know why you made that change. Uh, what are the challenges with making, making that kind of change? And do you think that animators coming into the field now, do you think that they should all make that change? Or is it worth making that change for them? I don't think they really have a choice. Um, I mean, obviously there's a choice, but doing paper flip animation is so niche now like it's not it's not very common anymore and it's very expensive um but i i did make the switch from 2d to 3d i went right into the 3d program after the 2d program because when i graduated from the 2d program and after taking all of the classes and learning more about the industry going on tours and seeing what shows people were working on and what's coming up the pipes for kids TV and how kids TV is changing or kids films are changing and stylistically what's pleasing, what's fun. You know, you can look at animation with rose colored lenses and you can be like, wow, you know, the paper flip, look at what the, the nine old men were doing and (laughs) all of that from Disney. And you know, you, you do do that as an animation student because you're, you're so in awe of what they were able to do. But when I made the switch from 2d to 3d, it was because, I sort of thought, reflected, and kind of 
thought that the animation industry wasn't going to stay this way. Like the industry isn't going to stay on paper. What skills do I have to offer the industry if all I can do is draw on paper? Like they teach you how to use Flash or what's now Adobe Animate. And they teach you how to use Toon Boom Harmony. But your final film project is still done on paper, right? Oh, really? I, I thought it was on yeah. Flash. Okay, cool. No, it, it kind of came down to, is this transferable? Like, can I get a job if I all I can do is draw on these pages? I mean, maybe, you know, if the animation is good enough. But when you're only working for a year on ramping up your drawing skills, and, you know, if you don't have a solid base already, your animation might not be the, the greatest thing to come out of school. Oftentimes it isn't because you get a lot better the more you do it and the more you work at it. So with the expedited program, I didn't think that my final project was good enough for me to offer to a studio and say, yep, this is what I can do, you know, because that that would be all I could do. They'd be like, great. Okay, so you can animate or do like coloring in harmony. You can do maybe like some rotations or something, maybe you know, you could do a, some minor compositing. It wasn't a lot, right? It might have been a, like a gateway to get in. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that if I was going to get into this industry and stay in this industry, and I mean, I've come this far, like I sold my house, I sold my car, my wife and I moved out to Vancouver to go and do all this stuff. And, you know, like if, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it, right? Like commit hunker down. This is your shot. You want to be an animator? Here's your chance, right? So I went into the 3D program and the learning curve is extremely high because if you're not familiar with any kind of 3D software, it's really intimidating at first and it's a different way of animating. It's not the same as paper flip, even though all of the principles of animation are transferable and that's great. You know, you have a solid foundation of how to animate and now you can transfer that into the 3D space. So that's already good, you know, and you might have a leg up on some of your classmates who don't understand the principles yet and are just going into the 3D program to learn all those things. I had the 2D program under my belt and now I was going into the 3D program. I really struggled at first learning the software because mm -hmm. Maya is a beast. <laughs> it was super cool though once you figured it out. But you, you still get to go through the same process as before. And you get to design your characters, build your story, do your storyboard. But then in 3D now, you have to model your character, you have to rig your character, and then you have to animate your film and light it, composite it, all of that good stuff. And so there's a few extra steps involved, but I think it's definitely worth it. And if animation is your passion, I, I don't see why you wouldn't try to learn 3D. You know, there's there's so many programs out there now, like Blender, for example. I heard about that one. Where you can and yeah, you can animate in 2D with their their crazy powerful grease pencil tool, <laughs> or you can just do regular 3D animation, and uh, you you get Blender for free, which is also insane because of how powerful the program is. Um, but if you know if you really like Maya, you can get Maya too. That you can get a student version of Maya. But as soon as your student version runs out, like the licensing for the 3D software or even the 2D software programs, like the price is steep. You can kind of get a perk by working in the industry by, you know, if they have an enterprise license and they're going to let you, you know, work from home or 
especially with the pandemic, you know, you have access to these softwares. But I mean, if you don't, Blender is a great alternative. But yes, I would say 2D and 3D, you know, they're they're both excellent, but just kind of pay attention to the way that the industry is moving. <laughs> I don't think it's going backwards. There might be a few special projects. And a good example is The Princess and the Frog, right? Mm. Disney's <laughs> kind of love letter to paper flip animation. Right? It's a great movie too. There were animators all over probably the world. I'm not sure. I, re- I remember reading about how animators from many different studios were just like trying to like work on this project because they they missed the visceral feeling of working with paper. Right. Right. They wanted to do that. And so they they moved from other studios and other places so they could have the opportunity to work on The Princess and the Frog. But since The Princess and the Frog, you know, most of the things have been 3D or done in 3D or some sort of blend of 3D and 2D. And even a lot of the shows that I started working on right out of school were were a blend of 2D and 3D projects. You graduated. How did you get your job at the studio? Well, <laughs> it's not easy <laughs> because especially in Vancouver or any of the major urban centers where animation isn't just a niche industry, it's it's like a major part of the local industry or the job force. When I graduated there at the time were something like 40 different studios. Not all of them were hiring. You know, some of them had shows that were crewed up already and some were looking for more specific things. Not a lot of people are looking for junior animators. And so you, the advice that they give you is apply anyway, mm-hmm. right? It, just get on their radar. So I did. I applied to everything. And I didn't get any bite backs, like none. Mm-hmm. It was radio silence for three months. But then I got a phone call from one of my old instructors at the school and he says, hey, I just wanted to let you know that one of the studios called and they asked if there were any like really talented special effects artists coming up. And I said, well, no, but there is this guy. <laughs> he He's not the best at special effects, but he shows up and he does the work. So I kind of dropped your name and I was like, what? That's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> anyway, so he, he gave me a recommendation based on professionalism. That got me my first interview. After I had that first interview, I landed the job. So a lot of it can be who you know. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't but, even say it is just who you know because like he gave you like a shining recommendation. Yeah, he gave me a nice recommendation. It was really nice. But keep in mind... That when I went to this to Vancouver Film School, I had I already had a university degree, right? Mm-hmm. I had I had completed post secondary programs. I was a paramedic. I I was a teacher. I had a double major. This it wasn't my first time away from home, mm-hmm. and under I had a I had a a strong understanding that when I left my home and I sold my house and I sold my car and I moved out to Vancouver. And I was going to go back to school to do this. Like, I I understood that this was my shot. Like, my wife isn't going to keep playing this game. <laughs> I can't just pick a new career every year or every two, three years, whatever. Right? Like, this, if this is really what I want to do, then this is what I got to do. And so I, 
I lived by that mantra kind of the whole year. And that's like, if you want to work in this industry, you have to be this industry. You have to put the time in, especially when you're at school, right? Like how else are you going to learn? And so that's kind of where the recommendation comes from. That's not to say that there weren't other hard workers in my class, but there were a lot that were fresh from high school, right? So they didn't have that away from home experience. Like I just did everything I could. Anytime that there was a guest speaker coming in, I made a point to go to the event. Anytime that, you know, they were holding a school-wide this, that, or the other thing, I made a point to go to it. There's an animation showcase of this graduating class happening. I made a point to go. Industry night, let's go. Like you just live the world, right? If you want to get into it, get into it. Sorry, I forgot what the question was. I was just asking <laughs> how you got into the studio in the first place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so that's that's where the recommendation came from. Um, just because I I didn't sleep at the school. You know, like sometimes you'll hear that animation students, oh, they're, they work so hard that they're sleeping underneath their desk and stuff. <laughs> I I always found that I had enough time to do my work during the day. And it was very rare that I had to bring anything home. Mm-hmm. So cool. No, that's, that's fantastic advice. Um, yeah, it's, it's that type of industry, right? You got to be more focused. If, if you can kind of do, do that, where it's like you show up at work, you do your work and you do it well, and then you go home at the end of the day, like the feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you did a good job or you did a full day's work, you know, and then you're not bringing it home with you. You're, you're not doing the crunch time. You're not, you're not laboring late at night trying to get your shots done on a Friday because they're due on a Monday. You know, like one, one of the best pieces of advice I got early on when I started working was, Alex, when your time's up, go home, mm-hmm. right? You're, they're not paying you overtime. Or at least, you know, this, the studio I was working at, they, they very rarely gave out overtime. And so if they're not going to pay you for your time, then why are you staying Right. Like as somebody who's new to the industry and somebody who's green or somebody who's fresh out of school, they might want to stay because they might feel like they have to prove themselves. But you've already proven yourself because you're working there. Right. Like don't don't lose sight of that. So at the end of the day, as long as your work is like in a in a pretty good state, like you, you shouldn't be staying, you know, unless they're really, really begging you to stay. You know, but they should also pay you for your time. So, so besides from that, with them trying to beg you to stay past your time, what other kind of challenges come with working at a studio? Initially, when you're new, the probably the first thing that's going to hit you hard is the volume of work that you have to do, right? You're used to working in school on a project here, a project there, you know, a couple nights of homework a week, and boom, you know, that's your week. At the studio... When when I was working on my first show, I remember my animation team, there would probably be about maybe 400 shots, right? I'm not responsible for 400 shots, but I'm on a team of eight. And so we're each responsible for about 50 shots in like over a four-week period. And so that's more than one a day for a month. And that's if you're getting a one and done. You know, so if your shot is getting approved right away or it comes back for revisions and this and that. And so I think the volume of work might initially hit some people hard. 
and some shows are going to be lighter with the volume and some shows are going to be way heavier and it's just going to be learning to get your speed up because you might think you're fast coming out of school be like yeah i crushed that final project but then you come in and you have to stick to a style guide and the director's giving you notes like people who know way more than you do about the animation industry are you know they're they're critiquing your work but they're not trying to do it in a bad way because they want to get the show made just like you do right so i think the initial volume of work is what's going to hit you really hard and then the other thing that you slowly start to wrap your head around is i'm never going to get to make my own animation <laughs> you know like the way that i want to do it because the show has a very strict style like when i was working on lego the style was very strict when i was working on the deep it was really strict you know like they because they you have to keep the style up and it's the same if you were working for disney in like the 30s when they were making snow white right you can't all draw grumpy a different way and ask the audience to be okay with it right the dwarves all have to move the same way it wasn't one guy animating all the dwarves all the time it was a team of people animating the dwarves and it's the same in studio still, right? It's teams of people that are animating these characters and they have to stay on style. And so that's that's part of it, right? Is you have to stay on style. And if you want to do your own show, I mean, there's definitely opportunities to do that. There's incubator programs and pitch programs and festivals and conferences that you can go to and you can always do it in your spare time too. I mean, there's resources available, but when you're at work, I think that's probably part of you know what hits you sometimes is, oh, I don't want to do this shot. Or I, did, I always end up doing these shots. Why can't I do one of the cool shots where there's like punches and kicks? I'm always doing these dialogue shots or like these long distance, the spaceship flies away shot and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So it's not all glitz and glamour, but I mean, it's still a really fun job. You're not working in a, anim uh, I don't know how to phrase this, but not like quote unquote animation studio. You're working for a game studio now. Um, so what was the catalyst for that change? So there's a few th factors at play here. Uh, they range from creative freedom to socioeconomics, <laughs> right? So living in Vancouver as an animator with a family, so um, it's not cheap, yeah. right? Uh, Vancouver is pretty expensive, and the more children I had, the farther away from work I had to move mm -hmm. and working from home because this is all pre-pandemic. So working from home was kind of a big no-no because a lot of the TV shows you're working on are very hush-hush. You're under NDA. You cannot talk about it. Like you can't take pictures of it. Nothing until the show is actually aired. So th this is a whole other story, but I, I kind of got a little bit pigeonholed in the way that I worked at the studio and that's not a, it wasn't a bad thing. It's just because I had worked on so many 2D, 3D hybrid shows. My, there's a small group of us that worked at the studio that kind of built up this pipeline and it got better every time we moved to a different show. Like we started building the pipeline on this one show and then we brought it over to the next show and it was really good. And then it got better on the next one and the next one. And so on one show, I was made the 3D lead and like I was able to use this pipeline that I had implemented with other people to help this show out, right? And so they they understood 
well, the studio understood that this guy knows how to work this pipeline, right? He's very adept at, at having the 2D, 3D hybrid show work and work well. And because that's what I had worked on until then. But I, I had been asking internally, I want to go full 3D. I want to work on these other projects. I want, I want to try this one and I want to try that one. And so uh, after enough kicking and screaming, I finally got my chance to, to do that. And uh, then I started working on full 3D production. But then uh, the socioeconomics kicked in, which is where, despite me having this great job and you know working in a, a really cool program when I was working on Lego, um, I had another child. And that prompted me to move further out and with my wife taking time off for mat leave and only being on my salary in Vancouver, having two kids, one's got to be in daycare. Like the expenses were just adding up and 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 adding up. And so again, it, it fell down to, you know, like having a really great partner where we had this kind of heart to heart talk again. And we we were saying like, I don't think we can sustain this. Like this is unreasonable, you know, like, we, we were starting to think like, okay, Alex, like you're, you're going to have to stay home from work uh, so that I can go back to work. Cause she, she works in, she, she makes more income than I do. And then it would make more sense for her to work full time than it would for me because I was basically working to give my landlord a paycheck <laughs> so that I could go to work. Yeah. Right. And that, that's not super great. So well, that's not um, living in we, my we, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, no, it wasn't really. It's you know you feel trapped after a while, and uh, so we decided that we'd give it one more year, and you know win or lose, that we would move back uh, from Vancouver to to Alberta, and you know I could be a stay at home dad for a while, or I could go back to being a high school teacher. Like we, we, we just had done a few things and it was kind of just like, you know, we had a good run in Vancouver. It was fun being an animator for a little while, but then, uh, it was actually my dad who sent me an article that was posted in the paper and it was talking about how there was a video game studio opening up and they were pretty new and they were looking for animators or like anybody really, like they were just starting. And so I was like, what have I got to lose, right? Like, it's in a better location than Vancouver. It's a place where we can afford to to actually live the way that we want to live. You know, it's it was going to suck to leave all of my friends and, you know, all of the relationships that we had curated over that time. But uh, it, what was best for my family was for me to apply to that job. So I applied to the job and I hear back. I, I wrote to the owner of the company because that's where they wanted you to send your resume and stuff at 10 o'clock in the evening. I remember because it was kind of like, okay, everybody's in bed, you know, like I'll do it. You know, let's see if I, let's see what happens. And I'm no word of a lie. Like 10 minutes later, he wrote back an email and he was like, Hey, we're not quite ready for animators or anything yet. Hit me up in six months and we'll see what happens. So I set a notification on my calendar to do that, to follow up. So six months go by, my calendar bings, and I follow up. And he's like, 
we're not quite ready yet. <laughs> I, I need another six months. And I was like, okay, six more months. And it just kind of worked out. It was like very, it felt very serendipitous. But anyway, the six months go by and I hit him again. You know, here's my demo reel. Here's my resume. You know, super interested in working with you guys and this and that and the other thing. And he he relents. He says, okay, I'm going to send it to my guys. And so he sends it to his guys. And uh, within a couple of days, I had an interview. And so I flew to the interview because I always feel like I interview better in person. Yep. It's just, it's more personable too, right? Like you get, you can build a rapport a little bit easier in person than you can over like they, a They can see call. your personality, your body mannerisms. It's, yeah. it's much better in person. Everything's much better in exactly. person. Exactly. So I went to the interview and uh, like I wasn't expecting it because it's a cross industry thing, right? Like I wasn't well versed in game systems or game animation or anything mm-hmm. like that. I had been almost strictly focused on cinematic film, television, that sort of thing. And so when I got the job, I was floored. I was so happy, but I was surprised. And I remember my wife was sitting at the table feeding the kids. Um, It was her birthday, so it's in January. And the owner of the company was like, we want you to start February 3rd. I was like, okay. (laughs) You know, like I, I, I went through that whole process of applying for this job over the course of 18 months, interviewing in person, like flying there. And then he wants me to start in February. The last thing I'm going to do is be like, can you just hang on a little bit longer? <laughs> you know, like, you want me to start in February? Okay, I'll be there in February. And so we had the craziest three weeks of our lives where we had to quit our jobs and get a moving truck and, like, work out all the logistics of moving our whole lives mm-hmm. from Vancouver to what's now Calgary. And... Yeah, it was it was wild. That's awesome. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, what are the challenges from going from like a cinematic animation to a game animation? Everything is broken down in game animation. That if you're going to do a jump, for example, in cinematic animation, you would just do that. <laughs> and you'd have however many frames it takes to do the jump. Up, down, nice curve in your graph editor. You know, good weight, good timing, and all that. You could still do that for games. But when it comes time for the actual implementation of the jump, it has to be like pre-jump, mid-air, when they land, right? Like it's broken down into its poses. Mm-hmm. And then the state machine, like the, the animation blueprint in the in the game engine, uh, blends blends them together because it has to evaluate where the player is at every given moment right so if you were if i were to so a good example is one of the first mistakes that i think anybody moving from film and television to video games makes is when they ask you to make a walk so you make a walk for the character and in video game animation you don't move the character away from the root controller ever in film and television, it's the opposite. You put the root controller where they start in the shot, you know? So like if you're an actor, you take your place and then they call action and then you go, right? You have your starting position and then you go. And it's the same in film and television where you plop your character down and then the scene starts and then you move them around the scene 
and they do all of their acting and blah, 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 right? But in video games, the player is inside a capsule, right? So any animations that take place have to take place inside this capsule because that's what's being controlled. The first thing that I did when they asked me to make a walk was I walked the character right off of the root controller <laughs> and into like basically oblivion, right? Because when you're making walk cycles, you usually put them in like pre and post infinity and then they walk forever. When I did that, what happened with the game character is, you know, you push the button to walk or you, you press the stick to walk and then the walk animation plays and you see them walking off and you're like, oh, cool, it's actually working. But then they rubber band right back into the capsule and they haven't gone anywhere, right? So the difference is everything has to be broken down very, very clearly. It's almost like working almost exclusively in keys and breakdowns instead of working through fully splined and blended animation. Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into more detail with that later. That sounds fairly interesting, though. Uh, it's a polar opposite. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Uh, just a couple last questions here for you. Um, who are your inspirations when it comes to animation? I can give all the, the nice and cliche answers here. I love the the nine old man animation from Disney, but Glenn Keane is truly an inspirational animator. And if you don't know who Glenn Keane is and you want to get into the animation industry, just stop right now. Go look up Glenn Keane. And look at all the animation that he's done over the years, you know. And once you've picked your jaw up off the floor, <laughs> then then you can go look at it other stuff. But, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Because there's Glenn Keane for sure. And that's probably just because of how much animation he's done mm -hmm. and what he's done for animation. It's, it's, what, it's memorable. So, for example, he would animate Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> as well as helping to design the character, he did the animation for Tarzan in in the Disney's Tarzan movie. Like when he's doing the like he's doing the cross the leg crossover thing right. on the vines and the trees. Like you know they're using rollerbladers and skateboarders and stuff for inspiration. But he's the one that's animating those frames. When you know you see in Oliver and Company where he did the little girl. There's so many more good examples like Ariel and Pocahontas. Yeah, guys, guys, right. go watch Glenn Clean. <laughs> yeah, Glenn Keen, he, he did some really cool stuff. And even after he left Disney, you know, he was consulting on so much work. And he did, uh, it's like a mixed reality short called Duet. Mm -hmm. And he did the Kobe Bryant animation for that Oscar, his, his basketball poem. Oh, God. Poem. Yeah. I forget what it's called now. Um, but yeah, he did that and you know, he he helped work on Tangled. He was a like a major consultant on Tangled. So he, he's still kicking it. He's still working so, with Or he was he was the animation director for Tangled or maybe he was the director. I forget now, but Glenn Keane, I don't know, he's he's an absolute master. Cool. But you know, that that's going to be almost anybody's answer for animation, but I I think rightly so. I think he deserves that place. So, yeah, that's awesome. But I mean, there there are so many good animators out there now that do really cool things. You know, you, you can look at all kinds of demo reels or even if you look at frame by frame animation, it, you, there, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff out there kicking. And it's hard to pick favorites, but the one that probably inspired me the most probably was Glenn Keane. He's the one that 
I kept coming back and looking at his stuff and being like, wow, that's cool. And like learning from his, his lectures and his seminars and stuff. Awesome. I, actually, I think, I think we should call it there. That's a, that's a good way to go out. That's awesome. Sure. I never knew that about you. I never knew about Glenn Clean. Keen. Keen. I keep on saying clean. <laughs> clean. Well, I think that's going to do it for tonight. Uh, it was great getting to... There's. I learned some things about you I didn't know before. And so that's, in, Surprise! that's interesting. It's great. I've known you for how long now? <laughs> 25 Jeez. years. All right. Probably longer, actually. I think so. <laughs> we're like, what are we... We're 30-something, 30 34 year. 33, 34, yeah. Yeah, so 29 years. Damn, we're awesome. All right. Everybody have a great night. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week. Bye. Cheers, everybody.